My homily this morning is about Peter, Benedict, and the advice of God the Father. Simon Peter, the man who would become the very first Pope, was present at the transfiguration of Jesus on Mount Tabor 2,000 years ago, as we heard in that Gospel text I just read to you from Luke chapter 9. Now, during that event, God the Father gave Peter a very important message. The message started off like the one the Lord had given to the bystanders at the Jordan River when Jesus was baptized. You will remember at that moment when Jesus came out of the water, after being baptized by John, a voice was heard from heaven. God the Father said, This is my beloved Son. Here at the Transfiguration, the Heavenly Father said similar words. He said, This is my chosen Son. But then he added a command a bit of what you might call heavenly advice. He said, listen to him. This is my chosen son, listen to him. Now that command, that bit of heavenly advice, was certainly meant for James and John as well. But that advice had a special application to Peter as the future leader of God's spiritual family here on this earth. Peter needed to listen to Jesus even more than the others did, since he was to be the one responsible for shepherding the whole church as the very first pope. Here now are a few of the things that Jesus said to Peter and to his fellow apostles between this time of the Transfiguration and the time that Jesus was crucified. These are some of the things, in other words, that the Heavenly Father wanted Peter, and James and John and the others, to listen to, but Peter in a special way. Jesus said, If the world hates you, realize that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, the world would love its own. But because you do not belong to the world, and I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. No slave is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. Those words are from the Last Supper, from the last discourse of Jesus in John chapter 15. Then in chapter 16, Jesus said this to the future Pope and to the other apostles with him there at table. He said, I have told you this so that you may not fall away. They will expel you from synagogues. In fact, the hour is coming when everyone who kills you will think he is offering worship to God. They will do this because they have not known either the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you. It didn't happen immediately, but thank God, Peter eventually took these words of Jesus to heart. And so I'm sure it didn't surprise him in the least. 
when a number of years later he was condemned to death by Nero and crucified upside down in that area that we now know know as St. Peter's Square in Rome. See, Peter had taken the Father's advice. He had listened to Jesus, and so he knew exactly what to expect. And so have the men who have succeeded him in the papacy. They, too, have heeded the Lord's advice and listened to Jesus on these and other matters, with the exception, of course, of the few bad popes that we've had over the years. And we have had, unfortunately, a few bad ones, Alexander VI Borgia and several others. They, unfortunately, did not listen to most of what Jesus said. They were too busy sinning to listen. They were also too busy, thankfully, to change church teaching. And I think this is one of the signs of the divine element in the church. They never, these bad popes never changed one single bit of church teaching. I believe the Holy Spirit prevented them from doing that. The Holy Spirit watches over the church even when the church has bad leaders. Our very good leader, our present and soon-to-be former Holy Father, Benedict XVI, is stepping down. I believe he's doing that because he is sincerely convinced that this is the will of God for himself and for the Church. As he said in his statement the other day, and here I quote, After having repeatedly examined my conscience before God, I have come to the certainty that my strengths due to an advanced age are no longer suited to an adequate exercise of the Petrine ministry. In order to govern the bark of St. Peter and proclaim the gospel, both strength of mind and body are necessary, strength which in the last few months has deteriorated in me to the extent that I have had to recognize my incapacity to adequately fulfill the ministry entrusted to me. The message there, very simply, my brothers and sisters, is that he's done his best to listen to Jesus, as every pope should. And the Holy Father believes that this is what Jesus wants him to do so that the papal ministry will continue to be powerful and effective in the church and even in the world. You know, like it or not, John Paul II, and to a lesser extent Benedict himself, changed the way the ministry of the Pope is exercised. And that change, I believe, is permanent. It's not going to go back to the way it was. Before John Paul II, Popes stayed in Rome most of the time and were much less visible to the general public. And so in generations past, it was fairly easy for an older pontiff with declining health to live out his final days in relative quiet. Well, that's not true anymore. Because of the standard set by John Paul II and to a lesser extent by Benedict himself, popes these days not only have to fulfill all their duties in Rome, they not only have all those things to worry about, they also have to be healthy and energetic enough to travel all over the world on a regular basis attending World Youth Days, visiting various countries, coming to the UN, etc. 
Well, Pope Benedict has come to the realization that he can't do this kind of thing effectively anymore. So he's humbly resigning so that somebody else who's younger and healthier can do those things. He is not leaving the priesthood. He is not rejecting his call to be a bishop. He is simply retiring from active public ministry. And he's helping popes who will follow him by making it easier for them to resign if they prayerfully discern that they need to. Now, what's been really interesting to me and to many others is the reaction of the world to this announcement. The reaction continues every day in the media. And by the way, don't ever believe the lie that says that the Catholic Church is irrelevant. You get that message a lot in newspapers and in the media. Don't believe it. When people say things like, oh, you know, the church is old-fashioned, Catholic Church is out of touch, Catholic Church needs to get with the rest of the world, Catholic Church is irrelevant, needs to modernize, don't believe them. The Catholic Church is not irrelevant. And events like the Holy Father's resignation prove the point. People don't pay attention to things that are irrelevant. Do they? I certainly don't. People ignore things that are irrelevant and passe and out of touch with reality. But notice, almost nobody ignores the Catholic Church. Even the hedonists and materialists and secularists in the media, they want to know what's going on in the church, even when they get it wrong, which is 98% of the time. And they want to know what the church teaches, even if it's only so that they can ridicule it. We, my brothers and sisters, are blessed to be members of the most relevant institution on the planet. And we're always relevant, we need to be clear, not because of ourselves, but because of the one whose truth we uphold and teach in its fullness. His truth is timeless. And deep down inside, most people know that. But since many of them don't want to accept that truth and live that truth, they try to undermine it by attacking Catholic leaders like the Holy Father, as many have done in recent days. They've accused him of being, among other things, I made a list here, a willing member of Hitler Youth. They've accused him of being soft on child abuse, anti-Semitic, They've accused him of being hateful of Muslims and women and homosexuals, all of which, by the way, are lies. And on and on the list goes. But what's really sad is when the attacks and the ridicules come from within, from those who call themselves Catholics. How fitting it is that in today's second reading, St. Paul speaks of certain people in Philippi who, and here I quote, conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ and whose minds are occupied with earthly things. Please note, St. Paul was talking in this text not about the pagans 
and the atheists and the devil worshippers who were living in Philippi at the time. The people he was talking about in those verses were members of the church. They were professed believers in Jesus Christ who were attacking Paul and trying to undermine his ministry. Pope Benedict XVI can relate, I'm sure. But I'm also sure that Benedict, like St. Peter and St. Paul, expects this kind of treatment. He expects it because he, like Peter and Paul, has followed the Heavenly Father's advice given at the Transfiguration, and he has listened to Jesus. If the world hates you, Benedict, realize that it hated me first. No slave is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Benedict, they will also persecute you. And they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they do not know the one who sent me. In conclusion, does that mean that we should feel sorry for Pope Benedict XVI and pity him? Not at all. Quite to the contrary, we should rejoice for him. Because God always rewards his faithful servants who suffer for his name. Always. That's certainly good news for Pope Benedict. And if we imitate him by being faithful to Jesus in our own lives, it will also be good news for us.